0: SQLcast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Excuse me, sir, I think you're sitting in my favorite seat.
1: Well, come and get it for us. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well.
0: From Shock Treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is cast and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This
1: is sequel cast and your host has asked that I
0: inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. Or is it films in a franchise, one movie at a time? They always get it backwards. Um, I'm Matt Chergy. With me is William Thrasher.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: You will kneel before sequel cast. Yep, this time around, we are looking at Superman two. You know, this came out in 1980, just two years after the original. And uh, this has a troubled production history, more so than the first. And we'll get into that in uh, in due time. This film, uh, as I mentioned, came out in 1980, Directed by uh, Richard Lester, although a lot of it was shot by Richard Donner, and there's different cuts. Uh, again, produced by Pierre Spengler. Screenplay by Mario Puzo, David Newman, Leslie Newman. Based on a story by Mario Puzo, based on characters by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And, you you and,
1: have no idea how pleased I am to see their names in giant letters on the screen during the opening credits.
0: Right, and it's interesting with Superman, you know, there's never sort of a... I don't know much about the history of Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, but there certainly wasn't a situation kind of like with, um... Oh, uh... Shit. Who's the Batman... Oh, Bill Finger? Well, Bill Finger, you know, but, you know, it was years and years getting Bill Finger to get credit, you know, when, uh, um, But the other guy... The, the, the people... Most people associate making up Batman...
1: We, oh, oh, with a uh, Bob Kane.
0: Bob Kane. I knew it started with the B. Although you know, admittedly, a lot like that of that
1: years and years. Well, so like the thing—the thing with Bob Kane. Yes, he did come up with the name Batman and the idea of a bat-themed vigilante. But everything that's iconic to the character came from Bill Finger. But thanks to Bob Kane's relentless self-promotion, he is the name most people associate with Batman.
0: Did you see the Bill Finger documentary?
1: Regrettably, no. That's on my short oh, list to watch. It, but, yeah, it's you know, on um,
0: it. it's on Hulu. Um, it, 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 there's probably like a disc version as well, but it's um, really, really well done. And the, it, the the guy who... I don't think he's the director of the documentary, but he's sort of the, the host or whatever. Like, he's a journalist, so he really, you know, it follows him years and years, decades, following the story, and it turns out Bill Finger had heirs that no one knew about and, and all these sort of... And then you get the relationship of um, Bill Finger's... Uh, yeah, I guess it would be granddaughter um, being treated at first nicely by Warner Brothers, but then trying to get bought off um, yeah. when, uh, after the the Time Warner merger... I'm I, I miss i misspeaking here. I, I, I misremember it. But anyway, it's a very good documentary. However, this is not... Uh, Batman, but we are part of the Batman Podcast Network, so um, let's resume our talk at Superman <laughs> 2. Uh, before we talk about when we first saw this film, I just want to give an overall brief summary. Uh, so, Superman 2 is a motion picture that, uh, you remember at the beginning of Superman 1, you had the uh, Kryptonians, or Krip- Kryptinians, or whatever.
1: Kryptinians. Krypton, on Krypton.
0: The planet Krypton. Krypton. Um, of General Zod, Ursa, and Nan were, were trapped in the Phantom Zone. And they, uh, they they break out of the Phantom Zone due to a nearby explosion. And, uh, you know, so it's like one Superman against three bad Supermen, basically, is what it comes down to. And, and this movie really is the template for all superhero movies. Oh, you yeah. And have a big showdown in a city. And, it I mean, the, the first Superman, it, it's more of an origin story. But this is like what all modern superhero movies Or or based off of, and owe a lot of debt to Superman too. You
1: you get villains that are a dark reflection of the hero. You get wanton destruction. Some monuments fall over.
0: Uh, Yeah, monuments fall over. You get some um, slapstick yokel comedy. Uh, It's it's up here. Oh, there's Um, lots of
1: comedy in this movie for better uh, and for worse. Yeah, depending
0: on which cut. And I act. I'm actually one of those that prefer the theatrical cut to the Richard Donner cut. But before we get into what that means. Um, when did you first see Superman 2?
1: I, I don't know. I know I saw it after I saw Superman 1, but I'm not really sure when. The first time I was really consciously aware of seeing it uh, was when I was 12, and there was a period where it ran on HBO like every single weekend, <laughs> and I watched it every time.
0: Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I just thought of something I haven't thought about for 20 years, and it has to do with Superman, if you can uh, let me say this story. Oh, Tangent um, Away. Yeah, absolutely. Tangent for especially on Sequel Cast 2. Um, so, yeah. Um, the first time I was aware of Superman as a kid, uh, I grew up overseas, as i talked about many times on the show, um, was on a package of <clears throat> hot dogs with Superman on them in uh, mm. either in El Salvador, let's say. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure they were knockoff Superman-licensed hot dogs. Uh, <laughs> and but I, I, through, through cartoons and so forth, uh, I, I knew what Superman was. And even as like a second grader at a book, at a, you know, sort of a book fair, I, I wanted to get the novelization of Superman IV, The Quest for Peace. And my parents told me, no, movie, uh, books based on movies are always crap. They often but are. Said, but yeah, but I said, well, oh, but isn't the book better than the movie? And it's like, well, it doesn't count, <laughs> something like this. Uh, so um, I was even um, being devil's advocate, even as a wee lad, but, yeah, I did not really see Superman 2 uh, until, uh, you know, when I was working at Blockbuster Video when I was in high school and I could rent all the movies I wanted and I would kind of do these marathons of series, you know, <laughs> kind of like we do in the sequel cast too now, right? But Yeah. Um, that it'll buy my loan, so many I sort of did a, mar- a marathon of Superman one and two over a weekend. And uh, watching, if you can watch the first two Superman films back to back, regardless of what cut, I think that's a very fine way to do it. And, and like do it in one city and or like over two nights, and, and and make an event out of it because it really does. This feels like Superman the motion picture part two, it, right? It, it, it's, or or you know, like Lord of the Rings the two towers or something. It's a continuation. As the poster says, the adventure continues. And, um,
1: I mean, you really can't feel that, that it was originally intended to be one movie that kind of grew into two during production.
0: Well, Mario Puzo's script uh, was 500 pages. I would love to read that. I can't so find a copy I. of that anywhere. Yeah. And then maybe there's. Bootleg copies around at conventions. I should look around next time I'm in town and um, go to one of those. But uh, yeah, what about you, Superman 2? You said HBO had it on TV a lot. Is that yeah. when you first saw it? Yeah,
1: well, no, no. I, I I, know the first time I saw it was before then, so sometime between when I was six and when I was 12. But that's just when I remember watching it constantly because it was on HBO every weekend.
0: Exactly. And um, it, it is interesting to To note, even though you know the, the first Superman huge hit, the second one made less money, but still, you know, off a, this is going off a box office Mojo off a budget of fifty four million made one hundred and ninety million worldwide. If you consider inflation, you know that's probably uh, I don't know like almost a billion dollars today. Like it's this was still a huge hit, even though it made thirty um, percent less worldwide it's, than the original.
1: It's still antihistamine money yes not to be sneezed at uh that joke is not my own that is taken from a rocky and bullwinkle cartoon thank you very much
0: uh rocky and bullwinkle is uh, one of those cartoons i think that's funnier as an adult than as a kid (laughs) it's almost it's like it's much smarter than you think that the art style i think is is fun but kind of crude and so is the animation but the writing is uh uh, much stronger i think than it has any right to be but it's a yeah very witty show um and we unfortunately lost June Foray last year, a voice actress of uh, oh, among other yes. things, Rocky. How are you doing, Bullwinkle? And um, did you know they actually did a, a CG Bullwinkle short not that long ago that she voiced Rocky in? No. Yeah, oh. I, I, caught, I caught it on YouTube. Uh, I, I think it might have played before some cartoon movie in a theater or might have been just for TV. But it, it's in CG, unfortunately. It's not very well rendered, but it's... Rocky and Bullwinkle, I think, uh, you know, against Boris and Natasha, and it really feels more like a Wile E. coyote cartoon. Um, and you have some business with Bullwinkle dancing with a female robot Bullwinkle. But um, it was fun to hear June Foray and she, even though she's older, she can pretty much. It, it, maybe they pitched up her voice a little bit, but she can still sound like Rocky the Squirrel, which is nuts. In her nineties, she was still working. So. Um,
1: Speaking of flying. Superman 2.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's briefly get into the cuts and then before the show we were doing some research and talking and I think in the main discussion we'll talk about theatrical and then we'll switch to the Richard Donner but first let's explain what the differences are in sort of the troubled production history. So we mentioned Superman 1 and 2 were being filmed back to back and um they had to release a film and they released Superman 1 because they were spending tons and tons of money. Um And then Superman 2, Richard Donner had such a bad experience making the first one, but not just that. um, He was fired, and he was not brought back to do Superman 2, even though he filmed a lot of Superman 2. And so instead they brought in Richard Lester, who... um, Richard Lester gets a lot of shit, and I think it's kind of unfair, because he was put in a difficult spot. He's directed a lot of really famous British farces, and he had a history of working with the um oh gee who what who the the salkians right he worked with them on he shot the three musketeers three and uh the three musketeer uh and the second one you know back to back oh yes with them and, and 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 had a history of working with the producers so they knew we could get a film done uh professionally and on time and but richard lester uh, you know perhaps most famously uh, aside from the superman two and three um did the uh the Beatles movie, The Beatles movies, A Hard Day's Night and Help. Oh, classics. We're going to have to, we are, need to
1: cover those in Yellow Submarine at some point.
0: Yeah, those would be great, wouldn't they? Because, I mean, in some ways, those were like the first music videos. Because it's like a music video movie, right? Or with comedic British sketches in between.
1: In a lot of ways, yeah. Oh, and, that's my grandfather.
0: And, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I look at other stuff that. Richard Lester is is still with us. He's 86 years old. He's, um, especially in recent years, if you look at Starlog magazine, he, he talked about Superman 2 and 3 a bit, and there's some vintage documentaries, but since then, he's refused to discuss Superman 2 and 3. Really? And his involvement in the whole Richard Donner stuff. And um, I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's for legal reasons. I, I really can't say. But, um... You know, in, in 2006, when you had a, the video release of Superman Returns and Warner Brothers is doing the big swanky Superman Ultimate Collection 15-disc DVD set, you had a uh, something fans have been wanting for a long time, and internet fans petitioning helped uh, make this happen, Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut. Do you want to describe what that is? Yeah, well, it's <clears throat> it's...
1: Closer to what Donner was trying to make and probably would have made had he not been fired. So as a result, some of the story beats are a little different. There's a lot more comedy uh, in the Richard Donner cut. Uh, and and regrettably, now, having seen both versions, as much as I love Richard Donner, it does break my heart to say this, but the version completed by Richard Lester is the superior of the two cuts.
0: I agree. I think, did you misspoke there and say that the... Um... I thought the Richard Lester cut has more comedy than the Richard Donner cut. I you, you don't think I so? disagree. Okay. Well, okay. Um, and I haven't seen the Donner cut in a few years. You know, I, I had the pleasure of seeing the Richard Donner cut projected in a theater. Um, cool. A, a few years ago as a midnight movie with some friends. And uh, and that was real cool to see. But it was it was sort of sad to hear people sort of shit-talking the theatrical cut of Superman 2. Um, because that's the one I grew up with they're acting like, oh, it's a complete piece of shit. It's like, I don't know. I think it works better as a movie. I think the Richard Donner cuts a bit. He uh, has a lot of fat and feels slow and doesn't really... I like the Marlon Brando stuff. Well, hell. I mean, we were going to talk about... How are you going to talk about this? Because this is going to be a big conversation.
1: Let, let's... I, I will say let's just... Uh, I, I think we're going to have to have a very complex discussion about the beginning because they both begin rather differently. Um, mm-hmm. but I figure we'll, we'll sort of assume that we're talking about the theatrical cut, but we can go off into plenty of Donner cut, uh, side, side tracks.
0: Right. So we'll try to make that as clear as we can. If you're confused, dear listeners, uh, sorry. Um, regardless, you know, if you're a Superman fan or, uh, like comic book movies, it's worth seeking out a, a version of the home video release that has both cuts on it. If nothing else to compare and contrast, it's a fascinating, uh, exercise that you rarely, rarely see. Um, I, the, you know, the closest analog to this I can think of is. Oh, um, there is a um, an Exorcist prequel um, a, called Dominion, and originally Paul Schrader, who wrote um, Taxi Driver and, and has directed a lot of films, uh, wrote and directed it. And uh, the studio hated it so much, they um, had his script rewritten and had the whole thing reshot by Renny Harlan. <laughs> and uh, have you heard about this before? Y- yes yes yeah. i have and and the the one that came out in theaters was by rennie harlan who directed nightmare in Elm street four yeah that's right um and and i think you know he did cliffhanger he's done some pretty good movies but um exorcist the beginning you know came out in theaters didn't really do that well and then for i guess because paul schrader's critically acclaimed and whatever like his version also came out on video and got a very brief theatrical release hmm. and um I have the box set of all the Exorcist films in storage. I've been threatening to do them for Sequel Cast 2, but I need to... No, that'd be fun to do at some point, but let's let's talk about that off mic. Um, anyway, so this Richard Donner cut is quite unusual to get two cuts of basically the same film by two different characters. Uh Not only that, in the Richard Donner cut, um, in, in the theatrical cut, the score is Ken Thorne uh, composing original music based on the John Williams theme. In the Richard Donner cut, they remove all of Ken Thorne's music and just replace it with cues from John Williams' score to Superman.
1: Now, do you think that was a deliberate choice by Richard Donner? or it, do No, th- it
0: was, it was. Oh, okay. Um, and, in fact, I, I watched some behind-the-scenes stuff. We'll, we'll start about the film shortly, listeners. Um, and John Williams was set to do Superman 2, even with Richard Lester as the director. But then he decided to meet with Richard Lester and was so turned off and, I guess, got along so famously with Richard Donner... That he said, I'm not doing this. (laughs) And they had to scramble and get someone else. In this case, Ken Thorne. Um, But yeah, so you said that the movies uh, begin very differently. Uh, Let's start talking about the theatrical one. Yes. It it starts with an overly long recap of the first film. But keep in mind, home video wasn't really common at the time.
1: Yeah, and we and so you know we, we get we get the important beats we get we get the Kryptonian criminals uh, General Zod uh, and his uh, two enforcers uh, Ursa and Nan uh, we see them banished to the Phantom Zone uh, quick mont you know really all all the beats of the Superman origin story is what we get.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the, with the with the Donner cut we kind of get the same thing but it's a bit it's a bit more prolonged we see the the whole trial of General Zod. And the, the Donner cut, it, it sort of retcons the end of the first film, because it conveniently avoids Superman distorting time.
0: Yeah, it does. Um,
1: and then in this one, oh, you know, we have Superman, he, inter- he intercepts one of the nuclear missiles, throws it into space, and in the Donner cut, the missile collides with the Phantom Zone, and that's what releases our three Kryptonian criminals.
0: And that was supposed to be, for the record, the ending of the original Superman film. Yeah.
1: But with, uh, but as as I recall, with the theatrical cut, they just sort of get free. And I've always taken it that we're supposed to imply that Superman distorting time is what freed them from the Phantom Zone.
0: You know, the way it's cut in the theatrical version, it's sort of unclear, because you have this business in the beginning <clears throat> in, in Paris, and Superman takes the, I think the, the runaway elevator, or the explosions, or the explosives—I think—takes him into space. He throws them into space, and um, they, they explode. But then, right after, it cuts to them being freed. And is the implication that Superman is responsible for the uh, by removing the explosions of the French terrorists into space that he freed him from the Phantom Zone? Like it's very abrupt the edit between the two. Yeah, and that—that's
1: and that, probably if I can say that's probably the only real outright flaw in the theatrical cut. It's, it's, it's not a clear a to B, uh, where, and with the Donner cut, it, it is clear that Superman, even though it's by accident is responsible for, uh, general Zod being released from the phantom zone.
0: Right. But yeah, with the real beginning of the film and, and the uh, theatrical version, you, you know, Oh, it's on the daily planet and, uh, blah, blah, blah. And Oh, and Lois Lane is in France covering a, a, a hostage situation with terrorists and um, it, 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 this is sort of like, I would consider it like a James Bond sequence before the credits, right? You were getting a self-contained short adventure.
1: Yeah, we're kind, we're kind of, we're beginning with the end of an unrelated story.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And um, I, I don't know if I called this sequence funny exactly, but it has some exciting moments. I like that Lois Lane... She says, oh, I need to do this for the Pulitzer, I need to do this for the Pulitzer, climbs underneath the elevator and is hating on for her life (laughs) as she's trying to, you know, sneak up and and figure out what the French terrorists are doing uh, in the Eiffel Tower. And it's a pretty reasonably um, successful sequence with Superman coming to save her and you get some exciting stuff going on. It's not not as bumbling as I thought it would be, but it's um, sort of... Gentle comedy, probably more heavy on the action.
1: And, and i got to say, this to, to this movie's credit, um, Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, her Lois Lane is a woman of action and nobody's fool.
0: Yeah, and I would also say Christopher Reeve in this film is more confident. It also looks like he, he gained weight, he put on more muscle, he fills out the suit better. Um, and they, they still have that nice rapport with each other in this movie.
1: It, yeah, they, they and, play off of each other well,
0: and the way their romance develops is is, is really well done, and is a, is a logical sort of conclusion to what we saw in the first film.
1: And it's strange because because in the in the Donner cut, we sort of go straight in uh, to the Daily Planet, where yeah. Lo, where Lois Lane very quickly has starts to suspect that Clark Kent is Superman, and there's just this great scene where she's looking at a photo of Superman in the paper. And, ha- and sees Clark Kent, and notices that their lines are similar, and she gets at a marker, <laughs> and she draws Clark Kent's glasses and suit over Superman, uh-huh. and it's a perfect match. I really like that exchange.
0: It's a real slapstick sort of moment. I, I do, I mean, they didn't have her question that even at the beginning of the original film, but it, it makes me wonder, are they moving into that a bit too fast? Like, did it take a long time in the comics for Lois to realize who Superman was? Did she ever realize who Superman Will- was? It,
1: there have been many different Superman continuities, and like the, the the traditional Superman continuity is, regardless of what Lois might suspect, she flat out doesn't know. Now, there have been some tellings of the Superman story where Lois figured it out a long time ago, but is waiting for Superman to be completely honest with her. Uh, then mm. there's plenty of stories where she finds out and then gets amnesia or has her memory erased. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. it turns out it was a clone the whole time and the real Lois shows up later and didn't, know, didn't learn anything. So the, in the comics, uh, whether or not Lois knows has a very complicated history.
0: Which and, all know, goes
1: away every time DC does a continuity reboot.
0: Uh, which they're fans of doing quite a lot of. Um, in fact, they have, they have something going on now with DC Comics where it, it, the Watchmen tie in or something.
1: Oh yeah, they're officially making the Watchmen part of the DC Universe. Oh, and beyond that, there actually is a bit of Superman news. So in the last okay. DC continuity reboot from a few years ago, um, the redesigned Superman costume didn't have the red, uh, the red underwear well, the big Superman news is that he's getting the red underwear back.
0: I never minded the red underwear, but... Um, it's a classic look. It is a classic look. Uh, I mean, one, one Superman uh, graphic novel I've been meaning to check out is Max Landis wrote sort of like a standalone Superman thing. Huh. Um, I think it might be called Superman American Alien or something like that. Oh, yeah, but, that actually um, is
1: supposed to be pretty well regarded.
0: Mm-hmm. And I I I've, I've, uh, haven't read it, but I've seen some of the, the artwork, and I think it's pretty... Well done and interesting. It's cool. You got a chance to kind of. It's definitely sort of an Elseworlds kind of what if um, scenario, but that's. I think that's a good way to do Superman. Um,
1: but there, there's a great there's a great bit though where Lois is so confident that Clark is Superman that she just walks out of an open window.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And I do. It's... And I gotta say, we we I absolutely love and you on know, this, this is a movie released in 1980 the super speed special effect they do is amazing where Clark Kent just zips through the offices you know creating a gust of wind as he goes to get to the bottom to get to the sidewalk outside the Daily Planet uses his super breath to slow Lois' descent then uses his heat vision to pop this catch so that an awning comes out that that breaks her fall
0: well and the motion blur helps make it less cartoony than it would be otherwise i mean if you overly animated it and had like i don't know like sweat pouring off him, or like it, it could look really bad but i agree there, there's something timeless about the way that that stuff looks in this film i think i think some of the flying in this film doesn't look as good as in the first one but um it more that might be due to compositing effects and stuff at the time especially you get sort of the lawn shots of a uh, you know, you have the the three bad guys on the moon, and they're beating up astronauts on the moon, and they see that they're from Houston, and they think, "Oh, it's Planet Houston." And
1: I can say, the stuff uh, on the moon is one of my favorite sequences." Even really? even though, okay. well, it's it's very well because it's it's very much it's very much out of a comic book, and it just reminds me yeah, of how okay. cool going to the moon is, which. That's the thing that breaks my heart so this movie you know it's it, it's it, presumably it's set in 1980 when when the movie was made and there's another moon mission uh, here we are oh, oh, almost forty years later we still have not been back to the moon
0: right well and funding has been cut greatly for for NASA as well then a lot of the funding has been towards the International Space Station and which
1: month. is a noble endeavor. I just, I would, I would, I would love it if somebody went back to the moon to, in my lifetime.
0: I, am just surprised we haven't seen astronauts sent to Mars yet. I thought that would have happened by now.
1: I kind of did too, but so was
0: further away anyway.
1: So yeah, so so uh, Zod and his his compatriots, uh, Ursa and Nan, you know, they they fly to the moon, and it's really great. We get some uh, some banter between the guy in the in the lunar lander, and this is one thing I like about this moon mission. It's it's clearly an international. Affair because there's a Russian guy on the mission from the Soviet mm. Union, mm-hmm. um, and I like how sort of blue collar it is because even the people at NASA are kind of bored. Suggesting that within the world of this movie, going to the moon has become somewhat routine, which again is an idea that I love. Uh, and I think I think the, the the we see the astronauts walking around on the moon. I think the low gravity walk they're given is pretty decent. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is, and this is when, uh, Zod and his crew start to learn about their powers and there's this great, but, but yeah, you do bring up that bit where they're talking to their command center in Houston and that leads the Kryptonians to believe that Houston must be the name of their planet. But I, I just love that bit where the guy's got, you know, he's got his mission patch and Ursa reaches out to grab the mission patch and tears through all the carbon fiber of his space suit, killing him.
0: Yeah, and yet even though you know they're killing people, I guess you could call that dark. It's it's done with a light touch. It's not blood shooting out everywhere. It's not you but, know. But we don't Zack we don't Snyder'd... get a full
1: total recall decompression.
0: Right. If Zack Snyder was doing the scene, you'd see some ludicrous gibbs.
1: Well, they, they they'd all be ripped in half by giant dicks. I think.
0: Um. Yeah, giant dicks, and then and then Superman would would hop in the bathtub and glare. And, and glare while rubbing one out. But to we're the talking cover of, Allelu, of "Hallelujah" by Leonard Cohen. Well, we're uh, we're yeah, watching we're a better movie too. right now. Let's
1: talk about the better movie. Sure. Uh, yeah, that it's really cool, and I like the guy in the control module realizing that something's wrong, and he's trying to he's trying to launch, but uh, but Nan grabs the rocket and crushes it, and it's just it's some really neat destruction we see.
0: Well, and I really appreciate how. Um, the iconography of Zod is holding both flags on the moon. The yeah, I mean that—that that, that is a declaration
1: flag. that his end game is to conquer the entire world, both the east and the west.
0: Right, and the Cold War was really heating up at the time, and there was still some—you uh, know—people weren't sure how it was going to go. And there's there's trying to be Glasnost, right? There's trying to be peace between the USSR and the, the the rest of the world, really, not just the United States, and um, it, it was. Yeah, I mean, what what an interesting what, what a what a nice bit of imagery, and then when the bad guys go to Earth, you get um, a lot of comedy. And, well,
1: well, I mean, they're fish out of water, even if the type of fish they are happens to be sharks. Yes,
0: yeah, so and watching this, it stood up to me how much um, Thor ripped off this movie. <laughs> All the sequences of, like, Thor and Earth where it's like, oh, I can smash a coffee cup really easy. I mean, it's a lot of those same kind of gags.
1: Well, to be fair, anyone can smash a coffee cup really easy.
0: Well, sure, but... um,
1: But just, like, the culture shock. Yeah,
0: the the culture shock, and uh, I I do like the hillbilly policeman, I think. I mean, it's it's certainly a Smokey and the Bandit kind of knockoff, but it's... It's amusing, I think, for what it is. I find it more funny than the Otis stuff in this picture. I mean, there's a whole, there's almost too much going on. I don't think you needed Lex Luthor in this movie because you have Luther, Luthor, Luthor breaking from jail, with Tessmacher,
1: who I I always wondered. So is she just like salaried? Is she still on his payroll, and that's why she helps him escape from prison? Because the end of the first film, it seems to think that she's reconsidering her her work with Luthor. But in this movie, it's, in this movie, it's as if he didn't try to detonate a nuclear weapon on top of Hackensack, New Jersey, where her mother lives.
0: Yeah, it's really jarring. Also, in this film, she's dressed more conservatively. Um, well, it, that's because she spent so movie, much she's time a... in the Arctic. Yes, yeah, so in a hotter balloon, nonetheless. I mean, so it would be extremely cold that high up in the air, but yes. Uh, and one, one thing that's pretty funny with, with this movie, or if you if you notice it, if you know it, it's kind of hard to unsee it, but Gene Hackman, you know, shot all his stuff with Richard Donner, and then they wanted him to come back when it was Richard Lester, and Gene Hackman refused. And so they had to use a, a body double and do a lot of lawn shots, and then a lot of, like, uh, the dubbing of... Lex Luthor in the lawn shots is not done by Gene Hackman, because he refused to do that as well. Really? No, I did not so, notice that. Mm-hmm. So if you listen, it sounds a bit off when it cuts from a close-up to a lawn <clears throat> shot uh, and so forth. Um,
1: but yeah, so this is all part of So he leaves behind Otis, and uh, I'm kind, I'm kind of sad that in no version of this movie does he get reunited with Otis in prison at the end. But, um... But yeah, and he's got, you know, he, so he's escaped from the hot with Miss Tessmacher, and he's got another master plan. He's invented a machine that can somehow track Superman because he wants to figure out, because they, they put it together that Superman, every now and then, flies north for no discernible reason. Uh, and with this device, he and Miss Tessmacher manage to uh, find the Fortress of Solitude. But this, the escape, has, in, in the, the Donner cut, there's, there's a lot there's a lot of comedy between, like, Luthor talking to people and telling them to shut up between Otis and Miss Testmacher. And there's—so mm. I've noticed this, especially—there's it's there's not much of it in the theatrical cut, but in the Richard Donner cut, there's a lot of bodily function humor.
0: Hmm.
1: Like, because, like, when, when Otis and Luthor are creeping along the prison wall, they hear psst, and that's Miss Testmacher in the balloon, but uh, uh, Luthor turns to Otis and goes— did you just? Pssst, he goes, no, boss. I did it before we left the prison. Uh,
0: oh, and like,
1: and that keeps going. It's but it Terrible. Ke- but it also keeps going because when when Hackman is in, or when Luthor is in the balloon with Miss Testmacher, you know, she keeps repeating what he says, and he keeps telling her, "Don't repeat what I say. You don't want me to repeat what you say. Don't repeat what you say." And it keeps going. And then there's this really quick fart noise, and he says, "Stop repeating. Repeat being an old uh, an old Southern lady's term for a fart."
0: I've never heard "repeating" as a term for uh, a fart.
1: Oh no, it is it is obscure. You kind of have to have an old Southern aunt or grandmother uh, who isn't shy about bodily functions, but doesn't want to talk about them to hear. Ooh, I repeated. But it see huh. it seems so I, out of yeah. place in this movie. And right. that keeps and on... I think
0: also. There, there's so much going on in this film. You're trying to get the plot moving. And in the Donner cut, to have so much more business uh, to get Luthor out of there, it just slows the film down to a crawl. And I don't think it really works.
1: Yeah, I almost like there's a there's a part of me that almost wishes, you know, Luthor just said, I have a plan that's going to get us out of here. Uh, And then like a few scenes later, we just see them crawl out of a manhole cover or or something (laughs) like you you could tell the story of their escape in a cut which would probably would have helped uh, and then while this is going on um and i like i like the screwball comedy convention of this is that perry white sends lois and clark uh to niagara falls posing as a married couple to do an exposé about how um about how there are these like wedding package deals that are bilking newlywed couples out of all their money
0: yeah, I, I think this is some of the best... Well, I'll just say it. I think it is the best Lois and Clark interaction you get in this whole Christopher Reeve series. Um, although, it, again, with, with the Donner cut, they use a scene that was an audition scene that was never that Donner was never actually able to film. And so um, it, w- what I'm referring to is, you know, Lois is, is so convinced that uh, Clark Kent is Superman... That she pulls out a gun and shoots him. Oh, that head.
1: scene is amazing.
0: It yeah, is, she... but the, if, if you look at it, everyone like looks like six years younger. The hair is different. <laughs> like it because they're using rehearsal footage, like on a set or something. It, or, like it is they, of they a shot different a very quality. rough version. Yes, but I, I agree. Like it's, and and but, you compare that to in the theatrical cut, you get. Um, it's more of a suspense scene with the little boy <laughs> falls off the edge onto uh, or what? He rescues the little boy, but then like, never mind. I'm getting confused. Lois jumps into Niagara Falls.
1: Yeah, because like there's a there's a boy playing on the edge and he fall and he falls off. So Clark Kent runs off, turns into Superman, saves him. But yeah, then like Lois, Lois, that's right. Then jumps later, off. she's repeating her damn it.
0: But then what? So, I mean, I like both scenes for different reasons, and I think the, the one with Lois is uh, jumping into Niagara Falls is funnier because Clark Kent has an interesting dilemma. If if she sees him change into Superman, then she knows. And so as Clark Kent, he like kind of hides, uses his heat vision to knock down uh, a, a tree branch for her to hold on to, and she comes out soaking wet and almost dead. And, like, that Clark Kent is willing to almost murder, um... Well, not murder, but, like, well, no, not but, effectively save. Yeah, endanger his, uh... Because, uh... Someone he'd like to be a lady friend. Uh, is... It is funny, and it, I do like Clark Kent being nebbish. We get less of that in this than in the first picture, but, um... Well, actually uh, either did, way, it's a fun sequence.
1: But if we can talk about him him being nebish, so in the yeah, in the yeah. Donner cut, when he saves the boy, uh like we like all the people at Niagara Falls are watching him do this, and there's all sorts of ADR lines with comments from the peanut gallery. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, talking you should generally talk about how great Superman is, you know, hooray, he's saving somebody. But there's this one there's this one woman. Well, of course he's a good boy. He's Jewish, you know. And, That's also
0: in the theatrical cut.
1: Yeah, and and I always wondered. Is that there purely as a joke, or is that a reference to the fact that Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster uh, were both young Jewish boys when they created Superman?
0: You know, given that this was one of the earlier big-budget comic book movies, I don't think there is as much, uh, let's say, respect for the source material and history as there is now. So I, I would say it's more of a Jewish joke than a sly reference than a than a intelligent reference to the. Um, uh, uh ethnic background of Superman's creators.
1: Yeah, but the um but the, the scene the scene with Lois and the gun, I really do like that scene. It, it is amazingly effective and I just, you know, love that, you know, she she shoots him and immediately he gets up and starts speaking to the Superman voice and goes, Do you realize that if you were wrong, Clark Kent would be dead? No he wouldn't. Not if I shot him with blanks, and she
0: she yeah, wasn't even using uh-huh. a real gun.
1: I love how but thorough her plan is. She got so she smart. got Clark Kent she to confess su- to being Superman.
0: Uh huh. And it's it, it's just so well done, and it's um. I mean, I also see the scene. I think of a, a short story I read in a collection about um, Superman and Lois Lane having sex for the first time. Oh,
1: that would be the essay, Humor's essay, "Man of Steel, Women of Tissue" by Larry Niven.
0: Yes, but it's really well done. It, but yeah, I, and also Kevin Smith made jokes about it in Mallrats. It's
1: it's very fun because it's it's about the physics of of, of Superman's orgasm. <laughs> right, it's a delightful story. But yeah, but at this point, you know Lois knows, so uh, Superman decides. Well, I guess I got to show everything. So he flies her to the Fortress of Solitude. There is clearly some super boning that happens because they do wake up naked in bed together. Uh, mm-hmm. And we, you know, we get Superman confront the holographic projection of Jor-el talking about how, you know, he's a, he's in love. Maybe he wants a normal life. And one thing, well, okay, so one thing I love to to, to drive home the fact that there was some super boning between Clark Kent and Lois Lane, is that when Superman's talking to the hologram of Jor-el, Lois Lane comes out and she's wearing Superman's shirt. Oh,
0: that's so sexy! Yeah,
1: it's no, like it's, it's it's so well done.
0: Also, and, um. I mean, this is a big difference between the theatrical cut and the Donner cut, hmm. because in the Donner cut they used the Marlon Brando stuff, but because Brando was suing the Selkies for more money and all these things, he would, did not agree to have his footage used in Superman 2, even though it was shot. So instead, they hired the actress that played um, Jarell's wife. I don't. What, what's her name? I don't. Uh, Laura L. I believe. Okay, Laura L. Um, and they did it with the mother instead. Which, um, do you have a preference for what works better? I mean, it's, it's tough to compete with Marlon Brando. That's almost an unfair comparison.
1: Within the context of this story, I think the mother is the better choice.
0: Interesting. And why, why is that? Uh,
1: that I, I guess it, it's that it's the Jor el is too much of an intellectual and he is so harsh. In talking mm. to Superman and even condemning okay. Superman's desire for a normal life that I can't believe that the holographic projection of jor would even go through with Superman's plan. But I can believe that his mother would.
0: Well, and I think what's nice about it is, is it gives Susanna York, who plays laura L, um, some actual dialogue and stuff to do. Because she's really blink and you miss it in the first film. And she has a nice warmth to her and um i never thought of it that would be yeah, the romantic angle is the sort of loving angle of the mother and, and this is is a continuation of the love story and superman's questioning if you know his humanity his role on earth and it, it, it's but, but we get it, it's well done and I, I and i love the scene of the mother is talking and uh i think it's earlier when luther is in there but you see her reflections in the crystals. And so, like, one crystal in the foreground has a large eye, and another one has lips. And then you see her face and one in the back. It's really interestingly a shot composition.
1: It's appropriately psychedelic and alien.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: but, this, but this is when we get something that has now become a staple in the second installment of superhero movies. The superhero Ooh. losing his powers. Or in this case, uh, Superman yeah. voluntarily giving up his powers. Right. Yes, he he enters he enters a molecular density chamber that that bombards him with red sunlight, uh, making uh, making him mortal. And one thing that, that did that it didn't occur to me at the time, but that my uh, my wife uh, pointed out: uh, shouldn't he consult with Lois before doing this?
0: Um, <laughs> that, that's like not not that he necessarily had, needs yeah. her
1: her permission, but. If you're going to give up something that big for somebody else, maybe you ought to talk to them about it. Because maybe they don't want or need you
0: to give that up. I mean, that would have been an interesting scene. What about he comes back like, Lois, you never guess what I just did. <laughs> Mark! It just comes out of nowhere. What are you doing this for? I, you could save humanity now. We're all going to die in nuclear winter. Yeah, it's really, really... Uh, I never thought at that point, and I should have. Yeah, and, and I think had this film been written in a more modern era, they would have um, given Lois more consideration. Although considering how Lois is treated in the Man of Steel, you know, in the Zack Snyder stuff, um, okay, let's not talk. Well, about, let's not say the Z word. for well, now, I, right? do
1: about, um, I do want to talk about. I do want to talk about Luthor and uh, Miss Tessmacher and the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. Because uh, th- this is. Because, like, I, I can buy that Luthor is, like, smart enough to break into the Fortress of Solitude after he and Tesmacher find it. But I'm kind of bemused that the Fortress has no security whatsoever.
0: hmm And, and I, I love how excited Gene Hackman is as Luthor.
1: Um, oh, like, no. he oh,
0: I get to find out all about... So he's like a, a kid getting candy, like, plugging in the different crystals, figuring out trying to learn everything because he's so obsessed with intelligence and knowledge.
1: Oh, it's Christmas morning for him all over. Yeah. Oh, it's,
0: it's it's perhaps my, one of the favorite Luther scenes, I think in this picture. And like, and like
1: the, the only thing I don't buy about his interactions in, uh, his interactions in uh, the Fortress of solitude is that he doesn't just stuff his backpack full of Kryptonian technology to take back to reverse engineer.
0: That's funny. Um,
1: but we get we it's it's one thing it's like normally I don't like expositional scenes, but we get a lot of redundant exposition in this scene, uh, particularly in the Donner cut where where Luthor finds a historical record about the Kryptonian criminals, and yet it works for me because I love Luthor's running commentary on Zod, Nan, and Ursa. Yeah, like like oh they're sympathetic. Oh they'll need someone uh,
0: you know like only. Me. Co- Conquering yeah. one world? That's a man of limited vision. And I, I really, I, I love the quirky touch. Um, this is in the theatrical cut. I'm not sure if it's in the Donner cut. because it's, it's been a while. But one of the crystals they play is uh, the poem Trees by James Choice or, or something. Yes,
1: that is in the Donner cut. And that is, is it? that's it, kind
0: it, of, it, it, it's <laughs> inspired. It, it's, it's strange. But I see, like the test boxes. Why'd you stop it? I like Choice. I like trees. Yeah. It's, um... Or I like trees. That's right. Yeah, but it, it it's it's really witty and unexpected, and like I, I saw that scene. And like, I haven't thought of that poem since I was in high school. And it's funny because it does
1: it. it does cut <laughs> into like more obscure like Superman continuity. Because I talked I talked about how like the first oh. movie is like a love letter to Superman. yeah. So yeah, yeah. there was in, in the original Superman continuity. It did become part of the story that Jor El didn't just blindly f- send his only son to Earth. He visited Earth and scouted it out, and wow. learned okay. about Earth culture. And I like that they imply that he may have done that in this movie too.
0: I also like in this movie that not just Laura L, but uh, Zod pronounces Krypton like Krypton. Crypt- yeah. <laughs> that's that's such a because that's how Brando chose to pronounce it, and no one thought to correct him. I it's mean, the local but, pronunciation. I, now, like, on... Um, oh, this this is a Superman question, then we'll get back to talking about the movie. Um, have you ever... Did you ever see much of, like, the Superman... Um TV show or listen to the old radio shows? Uh, I've listened to some of the old radio show. Uh, yeah. I've got, actually, I've got a CD.
1: Sadly, it's incomplete, but it's it's the mm-hmm. episodes of the Superman radio show where he teams up with Batman, which is pretty cool. Oh, I've got cool. a book of scripts yeah. from the radio show. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some of the old serial adventures. I loved the uh, George Reeves uh, Superman movie, uh, Superman TV show. That was an amazing show.
0: Yeah, I watched that a lot as a kid i also really liked the, the the 90s show lois and clark although that was yeah. more um I, I mean there were certainly bad episodes especially howie mandela's mixel pixick no doubt about it but hey, there, there's something like uh, dean kane uh I think was a very good Superman and very good Clark Kent.
1: He did it pretty well. Um I love I love the Fleischer. I know I more than love, I adore the Fleischer mm. Superman cartoons yeah. which yep. which were incident which were very influential because originally Superman couldn't fly. He literally leaped tall buildings in a single bound. He mm. flew for the first time in one of the Fleischer cartoons simply because Fleischer thought, well it looks much better if he flies in this scene rather than jumping. And that proved so popular in the animation that they just made that one of his powers in the comics. I never knew that. Um... Well, the same thing happened with Kryptonite. Kryptonite, uh, there was uh, a Superman serial called, I think it was either Superman versus the Mole Men or Superman versus the Atomic Men. But they wanted a weakness for Superman so they introduced this mysterious element called Element K that took away his powers and that proved so popular that they invented kryptonite in the comics to do the same thing
0: Uh, also if you like Superman um, and we'll get back to Superman 2 in just one second but there's a really good movie uh, with Ben Affleck playing George Reeves um, about the mysterious circumstances of George Reeves' death in Hollywoodland really well done
1: yeah I, oh that is so cool oh but some, so something about one thing about luthor and and this is something uh, again that i think was more pronounced in the donner cut is that in the run-up to luthor and testmacher getting into the fortress of solitude testmacher keeps talking about how she hasn't gone she hasn't been able to go to the restroom because it's so cold and she keeps <laughs> asking him to ask the crystals where the restroom is and she kind of disappears while luthor is fussing with the crystals and then, like, at the end of the scene, you just hear, I found it! And then this flushing noise. <laughs> and then you, uh, you hear Jeez. this loud cartoon... It's, it sounds like the same flushing noise from when the Simpsons made fun of Married with Children in the oh, Deep Space Homer is. episode. It's just
0: the stock sound... But, yeah, probably from the sound effect library.
1: But once the flushing ends, you hear, I hope... <sighs> which is screwed up, because if she didn't find the restroom, what made that noise? And if she didn't find the restroom... Did she just like, did she just like maybe shit in Superman's refrigerator?
0: You know, if, if I were doing the gag, what I would do is I'd have her sneak off and Luther's doing, you know, doing his monologuing like he tends to do. And then he, he looks at, you know, within uh, Fortress of Solitude, they have, you know, sort of rivers of, you know, water and ice and stuff. And he's looking through and goes, oh, that's funny. I don't recall seeing this log here before. Oh, God.
1: But, so, uh, we, we want to talk about, uh, so, so the Kryptonians, uh, as they're in, as they're in, in the South, you know, they have a run in with these two sheriffs.
0: <laughs> yes. I, I, love these sequences and I, I think it's a shame they're cut really in the Donner film. You don't see as much of them. Um, it's real yokel, stupid humor, but it's nice to have that as a break and to have a little part of the film that doesn't take itself so seriously. Um. And it, but it also, it also
1: has something that is more of a problem in the Lester cut than in the Donner cut. But when the sheriff sends the deputy out with the shotgun, uh, Zod heat visions the shotgun, which right. he then levitates to him. So like he gets a telekinesis power that he never uses again in that moment. <laughs> Mm-hmm. before accidentally shooting himself with the shotgun, and that's how they learn that they're invulnerable. And that's when they just go into town and lay waste to the town <laughs> trying to take over.
0: But, I mean, it's just a real fun scene, seeing them go to a country bar and they try to flirt with uh, uh, who's the, the girl? Um, Sierra Douglas is Ursa. Oh, yeah. starts, like, whipping the shit out of him. I mean, Sarah Douglas is, um, I think she's real sexy as Ursa. She looks great. She takes no shit. She
1: she is awesome uh, in this movie. And, and And that is the one interesting thing is because... In the Superman comics, up to the point where this movie was made, they had very, very rarely introduced other, like, Kryptonian villains, Zod being the really? most well-known. And know interestingly okay. enough, Ursa and Nan were created for this film. But mm-hmm. made such a big impact that they have been put into Zod's continuity in the comics ever since.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I, one thing I think that's neat is um, so, because this movie is so fraught with with trouble, And in fact, uh, at one point, Margot Kidder considered not even acting in this picture to do the Richard Lester stuff. Hmm. But decided to do it for her career's sake and reputation if nothing else. Um, that when it came time to do press, one of the only people that would agree to do press for this film is Sarah Douglas, who plays Ursa. So she did the world tour giving press. Huh. But meanwhile, Christopher Reeve wasn't there. You know, Margot Kidder wasn't there. Uh, Gene Hackman wasn't there. It was her doing the press thing by herself, and was really a minor, you know, a supporting role at best.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's such like she she is so good in this, and and yet, and this is this is to, to my shame, I keep getting her confused with Amanda Donahue uh, from Lair of the White Worm. And, I can uh, see
0: that. yeah. You
1: know. And Sid and Nancy.
0: And Sarah Douglas is also pretty good as the evil queen in Conan the Destroyer.
1: Oh yes. But it's pretty. It's pretty cool, and you know they they start getting their ultimatum, and they start kind of work. They sort of work their way up to the chain of command to get to the White House, and we get a really neat thing where they knock over the Washington Monument and fight their they fight their way into the Oval Office, going through rank after rank of soldiers.
0: Now I was just looking up the IMDb of. Um... Sarah Douglas, and she was recently in a movie that sounds like my cup of tea, Strippers vs. Werewolves. <laughs> a low budget um, UK. Uh, I've picture. seen that. Have you? Is it any good? It, it Robert is, England is in it too. Cool. It is surprisingly fun. Unfortunately, the poster I see does not have a funny tagline.
1: No, unfortunately. Um, but so while, while all this is going on, and I do kind of like this, because the, during the whole Kryptonian invasion, everyone's wondering, where's Superman? Well, Superman and Lois Lane have been apparently walking back to the United States from the North Pole.
0: Yeah, and and, and there's a, a gag where, you know, they're, they're getting the on the dogs and they're going north, north. And then, you know, as they leave, they're going south, south. But yeah, they take their epic journey.
1: But we do, um, and this and this leads to actually a really interesting scene because they they stop at a a truck stop uh, to get some food, and this one jerk at the truck stop starts uh, starts you know hitting on Lois Lane and and you know takes takes Clark Kent's seat, and you know Clark Kent just decides to use his sort of good old fashioned gentlemanliness to correct the situation, and then gets the shit kicked out of him by this yes. by this trucker. And it really like and there's like that great scene where like he he like he's bleeding from the nose and he looks at it that's blood. That's my blood. Mm-hmm. And like you can really read the shock that, you know, he's he's never really bled like that before. And quite possibly may never have felt pain before.
0: It's a really good character moment.
1: Yeah. And and that's also when the TV turns on, and that's when they see that uh, the Kryptonians have taken over the White House and then the world. Oh, something I love. Something I really love about Ursa is when she's like looking at all the five-star generals and makes this comment about how how weird the planet is, where all the men wear jewelry. And I don't know if I don't know if you noticed that, but after that scene, Ursa is wearing U.S. military medals all over her outfit.
0: That's a nice touch.
1: And they're all like in random places too. They're like they're not where they would be worn on a normal uniform. (laughs)
0: So what do you think about the big showdown at the end of this picture?
1: Yeah, so yeah, this is, yeah, after Luthor kind of tries to ingratiate himself to the Kryptonians in exchange for Australia, uh, Superman crawls his way north, uh, uh, manages to repower the molecular chamber and give himself his powers back. I, I absolutely love, I absolutely love this fight scene. And one of the reasons I love this fight scene is that so many of the effects are practical.
0: Yes, it's a great example of, uh, you know, miniatures and real effects and... uh,
1: And and everything looks as heavy as it should be.
0: Yeah, right. Nothing flies through too quickly. Uh, One thing that... I also like Lex Luthor kind of, you know, sniveling... Reacting, you know, to, to Zod and kissing his ass, but then later at the end, he was just like, "I oh, was just joking, Superman." You know that, right? I've always liked you. Oh yeah, we could work together. Like he's just a real schmendrick about it.
1: Well, he's always playing his angle. Um, but it's mm-hmm. really, and and this is the one thing that I that I love is I just love that bit with Ursa. It Was like, "Oh, I've discovered his weakness. He cares for these people mm-hmm. like pets, I suppose." <laughs> Yeah, just <laughs> it's just Such a great exchange, but yeah. And then, of course, you know, Superman, you know, flies off because there's too much collateral damage, uh and Luthor says, "Oh, well, I happen to know his home address, so let's go there. I don't know. If you give me, was, if you give me Cuba, I'll tell you where to find him." And so, <laughs> Still so playing the, the land cr- angle, yeah. So the Kryptonians, Luthor, and uh, with Luthor and Lois in tow, fly to the Fortress of Solitude, and th- this is a scene that plays out very differently based on whether you're watching the theatrical or the Donner Cut, This showdown in The Fortress of Solitude.
0: Right. Uh, Before we get there, one uh, difference also between the cuts, the theatrical cut has a line where, uh, you know, Zod is trying to get Superman to fight him and stuff, and and Superman confronts Zod and says, care to take this outside? Oh, yes. It's a good moment. Now, in the Donner Cut... They, they used a different take in which the line is, haven't you heard freedom of the press? Which is a lot <laughs> lamer than care to take this outside.
1: Well, yeah, that's because they've been blowing up the
0: Daily Planet. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it, you're right. When we get to the climax at the Fortress of Solitude, um, I I like how... how uh, weird it gets with superman's powers in the theatrical cut he, he takes his yeah. superman logo and throws it and it wraps around them like cellophane
1: yeah and, it, and it's another it's another example of a person manifesting a power just once
0: mm-hmm. and i'm like that's clever i never would have
1: thought of that and, well yeah n- because he shouldn't be able to do that and <laughs> it's one thing where like i i guess The only way I forgive it is, okay, he's in the Fortress of Solitude, maybe there's some piece of Kryptonian technology that lets him do that. So that's kind of how I justify it, but it does come out of nowhere, being able to throw his S as a net. Mm-hmm. Whereas opposed to in the in the in the Donner cut, because I wonder, I do like this thing where like he's kind of going back and forth with Luthor, like he's like, I have a chamber that will take away their powers. You need to help me trick them into it. Uh, and I remember when that scene happened, wife goes, "Wait, they all have super hearing," and of course they do. They overheat the whole plan, mm-hmm. and so they get Superman to enter the chamber, but he's already rigged the chamber so that the Fortress of Solitude gets bathed in the red light, and he doesn't. So all the Kryptonians lose their power, and in the Donner Cut, it's really anticlimactic, because, like, he just pushes Zod and Nan into a pit, and then Lois punches uh, Ursa and throws her (laughs) into a pit, and then that's it. We never see or hear from them again.
0: Well, and then in the Donner Cut, isn't that when he turns time backwards, so he can't remember that he's Superman?
1: Well, yeah, then... Well yeah, well that's so why irritating. Well, two weird things happen in the Donner Cut, they then leave the Forces of Solitude, and then he destroys it with his heat vision. Which I guess to destroy it or to seal the criminals away, I don't really understand because it's unclear whether they're dead or not. They just fell down a pit. Um but then yeah, then he flies around, reverses time, and undoes the entire movie. Which raises a whole lot of questions, and I do not like that ending. I much prefer the theatrical cut's ending where, uh, after the fight, he's able to send them back into the Phantom Zone. That seems much more like what Superman would do.
0: Right, and... um,
1: And then, to cover up his identity, though, they fly back to civilization, and... He kisses Lois Lane so intensely that she gets amnesia and forgets that he's <laughs> Superman. Which, yeah. I, strangely enough, I prefer to the time travel.
0: Yeah, because the time travel, you have the idea he can do that anytime he wants, and and I guess at this point we've seen two other powers
1: manifest only once. We might as well see super kissing manifest only once.
0: And then uh, at the very end, right, we get we get the payoff of Superman going to beat the shit out of that guy. Oh, yeah, which which is kind of
1: petty, and yet I love <laughs> that after after the guy breaks his wrist by trying to punch Superman, he hands a stack of bills to the diner owner, who earlier had commented about how much it cost to repair the damage from the first fight, and, and he says, uh, I'm I'm sorry for all the damage we caused, sir, and just gives him that fat stack of cash. Yeah,
0: when I saw the uh, Donner cut in theaters, that... Super, where Clark Kent, you know, goes back in and beats the shit out of him, got a big, was a big applause moment. It was, it's, it's, it's petty, but satisfying. And you know, it, it, with with writing and with screenplay structure, uh, in particular, because you don't have much, much pages to work with, um, you're setting stuff up and paying it off. And that guy it, it's, is it's an ass. That guy, like, like everyone in the yes. pl- diner seems to hate him. He's even physically and
1: verbally abusive to the owner and the woman who works there. So he, in a way, he has it coming. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then, and then, of course, that's the, the climax uh, of the film. Uh, over, I mean, I, as I said, I, I, this, the theatrical cut of Superman 2 is my favorite of the Superman films.
0: The Chris, Christopher Reeve Superman films? Or?
1: Uh, all Superman
0: films. Okay. Um, yeah, I, you know, it, I initially was a big fan of the Donner cut more for the novelty of it but I you know, watched them both It's, uh, I think that the actual cut has better pacing it plays better and the, the ending of the Donner cut I just despise and uh, there's some Donner cut stuff that's it's neat to see the Brando stuff it's neat to see um, you know there's more action and violence when uh, the, the Kryptonians take over the White House um <clears throat> which is sort of interesting, but it, it, it just feels eh, sloppy somehow. I don't like, I don't know the editing just makes it feel a bit like a shaggy dog. There's also like a, a cut, uh, you know, a, a boot, that's a bootleg at the convention circuits, um, of the extended like TV version where it's like two and a half hours long.
1: I, oh, you know what? I think I've seen that one too. That one's quite good.
0: Is it? Yeah. Um,
1: I feel like that one uses the Lois Lane shooting blank scene as well, now that I think about it.
0: It it, it could. You know, I'm I'm looking at some of the scenes, and uh, there's one where Lex Luthor takes Perry White's coffee during the battle scene in Times Square, which is funny.
1: Oh, well, that, that happened in the Donner do. cut, and it's really great because like, oh, Jimmy's it, yeah. getting coffee.
0: He says, hey, that's the Chief's coffee. The
1: Chief has it. <laughs> I really love his arrogant, swaggering Luthor. I, I, she yes, yeah. is very good in this role.
0: Yeah, I think he's better in this film than in the first one. It's um, He seems more confident, and even though it's ridiculous to say that because it was all shot at the same time.
1: Well, he's having so much fun, and that really comes yeah, through.
0: Yeah, he, he loosens up, really. Um, yeah. And, jeez, uh, yeah. I, I will say, you know, Ken Thorne tries to do what he can with the John William theme, but the, the arrangement seems a bit, um, a bit cheaper sounding. I don't know if they didn't use as big of an orchestra or something, but it, it, the sound doesn't sound as, as rich or as full in the soundtrack. And uh, you don't get very many new musical themes that are memorable at all.
1: Hmm. But the John Williams stuff is still ace.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that's, I, I, w- I wouldn't mind recutting the John Williams music into the theatrical cut <laughs> or, or something. I think that could be sort of interesting. But, yeah, I mean, Superman 2, I give a sequel yes all the way. One of the, uh, one, not just one of the best uh, comic book movies, but I'd say one of the better sequels of all time.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Sequel yes for me, too.
0: So let's, uh, let's do a pitch of sequel. All right. Uh, shall I go?
1: Sure. So uh, uh, this this may echo what I did last time but uh, my, my pitch of sequel uh, I wanted to pick up from where this movie left off uh, since we never saw Luthor go back to federal prison uh, or be outright executed uh, for all we know um, we're going to assume that Luthor escaped and is back in a new lair and for my sequel he did steal a few Kryptonian crystals and is trying to reverse engineer them and he has a new staff of uh, bright young enterprising criminal geniuses working with him and while experimenting with one of the crystals one of these bright young criminal geniuses uh, ends up uh, turning himself into brainiac he merges with this Kryptonian computer core he becomes brainiac and then he becomes he gains an obsession he now believes that as brainiac he is the smartest creature on earth and to do that he has to defeat the previous smartest creature on earth who happens to be Lex Luthor. So in this film Luthor must go to Superman, to get his help in defeating Brainiac, who is taking over all of Luthor's criminal enterprises. And beyond that, so that we can get some more classic Superman villains in here, Brainiac will use his his intellect and access to genetic records from, Krypton, from Krypton's gene bank. Uh, he will create new villains. So uh, as his henchman, Brainiac will have, uh, the, will have the parasite, um, uh, as just an example of another villain, he will also get a hold of Superman's DNA and create Bizarro. So the final fight scene to get to Brainiac, uh, S- uh, Superman will fight will fight his doppelganger Bizarro, which I'm torn because part of me wants Bizarro to be played by Christopher Lee, uh, Christopher Reeves, Christopher Reeves in heavy <laughs> makeup. <laughs> I'm Bizarro, uh, but yeah. another part of me wants. Rod Perlman in a crazy giant bodysuit to play Bizarro. And I think that might even be where I go with this. Um, and in the final confrontation uh, with Brainiac, uh, Superman uses uh, uses Jorel's personality crystal from the Fortress of Solitude. He inserts it into, uh, into Brainiac, and Jorel hacks the Kryptonian technology in Brainiac uh, undoing the merger between the young criminal genius and all the Kryptonian tech. Hmm. and that'll be and i will just simply call it superman 3.
0: Okay. Um if you superman, can't tell
1: i really want to see brainiac in a movie.
0: Yeah, you've uh, pushed that pretty dark. I mean, it's surprising he hasn't been in a live action theatrical film in all these years cuz he certainly was in a lot of the treatments for uh, or in a lot of the scripts that almost got made in fact um, oh, with Nicolas Cage. Kynes, yeah. Well, yeah, but with the, the Sal you know, the original Superman 3 script was supposed to have Brainiac and Mixel-Pixic. And then because Richard Pryor did a celebrated spot on the... Um,
1: well, we'll talk about that uh, next yeah, week's we'll show, because I've got a lot to say yep. about that routine.
0: Yep, 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 yep. Um, So, uh, you know, my my picture sequel would be inspired by an issue of the... Uh, sort of cult comic, Superman's pal, Jimmy Ol- Olsen.
1: Cool! Are we going to see the Turtle and, Man?
0: Yes, that is the one I pulled up. As it turns out, <laughs> Jimmy Olsen is the giant turtle man. So you know, Jimmy Olsen is investigating some uh, some nuclear plant thing, and uh, he got exposed to too much gamma radiation. He turns into the turtle man, and he Jimmy Olsen, you know, chip-cherry Jimmy Olsen is now like a like a Godzilla. Imagine you know Godzilla, but with the Jimmy Olsen head on top. It would look really weird, and it would be done with kind of dodgy. 80s CG. I would would assume it's made in the 80s and uh, (laughs) at a lower budget. You know to save money, and um, it would be more like it'd be like Superman versus Godzilla, except Godzilla is Jimmy Olsen, and um, Lois (laughs) Lane would um, at one point be kidnapped by Jimmy Olsen as a turtle man, and it would would have sort of like a King Kong style romance with them somehow, and it would get kind of weird. Um, and so that's what I would, I would do, and it would be called Superman Three. Olsen's Revenge. <laughs> Who's he getting revenge on? <laughs> I have to see the movie to find out. Ah ha, ha. Bait that trap for me. I I have read some of the Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen comic, and I love how stupid it is. It's kind of like the best of when comic book could be ridiculous. Oh, here's another one. (laughs) Great Krypton. Jimmy Olsen has started a beetle craze here in ancient Rome. (laughs) He's become as popular as Ringo. It says, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen featuring the red-headed beetle of 1000 BC. Some of
1: those comics are pretty goofy.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's what I like about it, though. But I I can see why it would... um... Yeah, some... Oh wow, Jimmy Olsen as the Batman Superman of Earth X! You can't make this stuff up. This is... <laughs> is it?
1: Is it? Because is it him as composite Superman?
0: Uh, yes, with a Batman head and cape, but a Superman body. Oh,
1: the super Batman! Super oh wow. Well. Yeah, um, I, I always feel like that's that's like a missed opportunity. I, I've always fantasized about like having any Superman property having a, an installment where it's just an anthology of Jimmy Olsen having these weird fantasies, but they're just like those weird Jimmy Olsen comics from the 60s and 70s.
0: Right. Oh man, this one's also one last one. Uh, <laughs> Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen featuring the Bride of Jungle Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy Olsen, Superman. This joke has gone far enough. I don't want to marry a female King Kong. And Superman says, Sorry, Jimmy, but as a local witch doctor, I pronounce you man and wife. (laughs) We need some
1: context for this. And it has
0: Jimmy Olsen on his knees, putting a ring on the finger of an A gorilla. uh, gorilla With with, with a bridal veil, and she's looking quite upset.
1: So, yeah, (laughs) does she not want to do it either, which is weird. So I gotta ask, do you know about gorillas in comic book covers?
0: Um, no, I assume there's a lot of them. Or is well, that there racist, is, but or... here's here's why.
1: Okay. In the fifties, in the fifties, after all the Senate hearings and all that nonsense, after the Comics Code Authority was established, um, comic book publishers did a whole bunch of market research. And one of the the things that the market researchers discovered, and I've always wondered, I want to see their research. Did they really discover this, or did they make this up? But what they discovered uh, was that. Comic books that had gorillas on the cover sold more than comic books that (laughs) didn't have gorillas on the cover, which is why there's so many gorilla characters and comics that have gorillas on the cover for no reason.
0: I, In fact, am flipping through more of the Jimmy Olsen covers, and there's one in which Jimmy Olsen is turned into the gorilla reporter. (laughs) Reporting on gorillas? (laughs) No, he's uh, in in a gorilla. Jimmy Olsen and a gorilla have switched uh, uh, bodies. And so you see Jimmy Olsen eating bananas saying, eek, eek, while the gorilla's <laughs> at the typewriter saying, Superman, help me, I'm Jimmy Olsen trapped in a gorilla's body. And that's Jimmy's body with the mind of a gorilla. They're both <laughs> victims of a tell. weird
1: experiment. But, but yeah, so... So, David, <laughs> like, I've got, I've got a Batman comic from that period uh, where, like, on the cover, it shows Batman and Robin being attacked by this crazed orangutan. But then in the comic... <laughs> like in the middle of the comic, to justify the cover, and they always had to justify the cover, um, <laughs> Robin opens a closet and goes, ah, and you see what looks like a gorilla coming out of it. Then on the next page, wow, <laughs> that empty gorilla costume left in this closet fell out and scared me, Batman. <laughs> There's just a crumpled gorilla <laughs> costume in front that's, of him. That's pretty good, I like that. Um, oh, we could do a whole podcast on that. So, I guess now it's time for <sighs>
0: What You're Watching. It is time for what you're watching. So, um, I have been watching. Oh, um, well, actually, you know, I've been playing a playing a video game really lately. Uh, I completed uh, the the single player campaign and the single player DLC for Star Wars Battlefront 2, the new one that came out. Oh, huh, Any good? And, yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. In the Star Wars Battlefront game that came out, oh, I don't know, like three years ago, to tie in with Force Awakens, it had really no single-player mode, Hmm. um, aside from a few sort of random maps you could try to do a high score on. And people complained because the older Battlefront games had a single-player thing, and Star Wars games have a history of uh, single-player first-person shooter stuff. And so they at great expense for this uh, new Star Wars Battlefront 2 game they put in uh, the video game, they put in the the single player campaign with cut scenes and they got um, one of the writers from Spec Ops The Line, which is a critically acclaimed game from uh, the PS3, Xbox 360 era to work on the script and all this stuff. Um, And in the marketing, you know, they focused on, uh, oh, you get to play as this Imperial agent, um, I think what, uh, Iden Verso or something like that. And it takes place right after Return of the Jedi and she's... Part of Inferno Squad, which is some special op stormtrooper stuff, and um, and so the story goes. I don't want to spoil it because the game just came out, but the story goes exactly <laughs> where you think it goes. And um, the real disappointing part is half the missions you play as Star Wars hero characters, and they don't do a very smooth job of linking it to the main story with verso or whatever her name is um but the i will say that the dlc missions and it as, as part of you know getting people to keep the game and not trade it in for credit used or something they, they're coming out with new content for it some of which are single player content with cutscenes and stuff and th- those extra missions that take place several years after the main story um are better done and have better pacing than like the real game which is kind of surprising but to give you an idea of some of the of a disappointing mission in the game uh, your first hero mission uh, you play is Luke Skywalker and he's he's uh, protecting a guy in a cave and you're Luke Skywalker what do you think you would do in a mission in a game I would think
1: I would go around uh... Blasting and uh, lightsabering stormtroopers and maybe trying to, like, retrieve intelligence or rescue hostages. Heroic stuff.
0: Although you kill a few stormtroopers in the beginning, uh, what you're actually doing is um, fighting off bugs in a cave as you wait ten minutes for this guy to fix a broken hmm. door. It, it's so bad. On the other hand, like, the graphics and sound are amazing. The multiplayer stuff is really done uh quite well there's much more variety than the original game and uh as a whole i like it i think you can you know wait for it to get a bit cheaper i'm not thrilled i paid full price for it but that's my own fault um but yeah the single player you can you can skip it it's they try and they almost get there but if it had better more consistent gameplay uh it it would have been better Um, what about you what have you been watching
1: so I'm trying to watch uh, more documentaries this year, and okay. I uh, I started that crusade by watching Too Funny to Fail, the documentary about the ill-fated Dana Carvey show.
0: I've seen that. That's great. I really like. it. Oh, yeah. No, I really enjoyed
1: Like, the Dana Carvey show, it is a show that not a lot of people saw, regrettably, when, when it was on. Uh, somehow... And this is what I just because I rewatched the Dana Carvey show uh, uh, a few years ago when it showed up on Hulu, and I was mm. shocked to find out I had seen every episode that aired. Oh, uh, okay. Because I did some research afterwards. I, I did see I did see it all in its run, and I am rather proud of that. Uh, and so this is a this is a documentary about the history of that show and how it kind of like everyone on that show went on to have a crazy successful career doing something else, but very, very often they got their better career because they were on the Dana Carvey show. Like Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert were on the Dana Carvey show when they were like sort of obscure improv comedy guys. And they both ended up on the daily show because the producers of the daily show remembered them from the waiters Mm -hmm. nauseated by food sketch.
0: (laughs) Well, and, and Louis C.K., um, who had worked with Chris Rock a lot on um, helping write his stand-up and do projects with him, um, had an offer from Chris Rock saying, hey, I'm doing a Chris Rock show for HBO. Do you want to be the showrunner? You're going to be the head writer. And at the same time, he gets the offer from Dana Carvey. um hey, you know, you want to be the head writer on my show. And, and the Dana Carvey show at the time was thought to be the sure bet. It was on ABC. It was on, or yeah. was it? Yeah, ABC, Network Television, right? And and he went with that. And had he gone with the Chris Rock show, that went on for like five seasons on HBO, won an Emmy, um, won several Emmys and all these things. Well, so, he
1: did go on to write for that show, but not until after the Dana Carvey show was canceled. Well, yes,
0: yes, yes. And had to sort of eat humble pie. Um on that one, but uh, my favorite part of that documentary is they show... Uh, it must be from YouTube or something, but someone saved a promo from ABC at the time. <laughs> and it's back-to-back with a, a Home Improvement episode about one of the boys trying to kill himself or something.
1: No, no, it's the yeah. episode... I remember that okay, episode because okay. yeah. I saw that episode. And the the episode was they, th- they have a cancer scare, the son, like they... They think he might have thyroid cancer. That's right. In the end, it turns out he just has an infected lymph node, and everything's fine. But it's an excuse to show clips and to drum up bad melodrama.
0: Clips are going to very special home improvement. You got cancer? Oh no! Yeah, but then on the Dana Carvey show with the
1: conceptual <laughs> zaniness of the Dana Carvey show, which is something that's and that's really what I love about this show and what the documentary goes into—just how wild and conceptual and kind of comedy writer driven that that show was it's the kind of show where if it had premiered in the 2000s on Cartoon Network might still be on the air
0: yeah you know the thing I was shocked is uh, Dana Carvey um, says they did the whole show in New York and Dana Carvey had his family stay at home and he was away from his family the whole you know six months or whatever it took to get Uh, that show up and running and I think that that experience, I mean, I think he, he enjoys the show and he's proud of it, but him being away from his family that long caused him to reevaluate and he really sort of went into semi-retirement for quite some time. That and health issues, um, you know, and inspired that. But yeah, Too Funny to Fail I think is very funny and uh, you can watch it on Hulu and it's also on, um, they also have the whole run of the Dana Carvey show on Hulu as well. It's 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 two two good
1: things to watch together. Yep. Um, and one thing I love they did about the about the uh, about the Dana Carvey show is they they found somebody who posted a scathing negative comment about the show on the early internet, like on a Usenet group, and they interviewed wow. him for the
0: documentary. That's funny.
1: It was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. um... I think we have time to talk about one more. What you're watching? Uh, do you have something else? Oh gosh, well I'm trying to see. Well,
1: we did we did see uh, the Force Awakens, but of course uh, I want to I want to save you know, that you since mean, we'll do uh, that as a catch up. The Last Jedi. Oh yeah, the Last Jedi. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. save that for when we do the new the new trilogy, which I know we've we've talked about doing once yeah. the final film is out. Um, mm-hmm. But something else. Oh, God. see, I'm trying to think of something else I saw that really with that really. Well, actually, okay, I'll sort of get this out of the way. I did see the fifth Sharknado movie.
0: I haven't seen any of them. How do you think the fifth one holds up? That, okay, covered, so that is those a... on sequel cast too.
1: Yeah, that that is a series of films that I have my issues with, but the The first half of Sharknado Five I do not like at all. It's really bad. It's just really bad jokes, like to, to the point to the point where their Geraldo plays a character, uh, and there's the oh yeah, I've got what you need right in here, and he opens this big safe and nothing's in there, and goes, huh? There was supposed to be something in that vault. It's just yeah, like the well, most. I like I, I feel like. 10 years ago, I, if that had been in a sketch, I would find that the funniest thing in the world, but in a movie, it just falls flat. That being said, the second half gets so gonzo that I fell in love with the second half. The second half, they do every crazy-ass thing they can do.
0: So if I was to watch one Sharknado NATO movie, which, what do you think's the highlight, and what's the low point? Um, Probably
1: the second one? Is the best? Yes, but keep in mind the bar is very low. They can be entertaining, like okay, so I, they're bad. They're bad movies. The second one and the second half of the fifth one are the only ones that I felt were like entertaining as bad movies. The first one's slow and nothing happens and doesn't even take advantage of the fact that it has a tornado full of sharks.
0: You know, I think my favorite name for all those made for Sci-Fi Channel direct to TV monster movies. Is Lava Lantula. I think that one. I think is pretty uh, inspired. I, I did see one, uh, one of those big snake movies that Pat Morita was in it, and it had an overly dramatic scene where he spent his whole life taking this anti venom, uh, injecting himself with it with like bigger and bigger doses, and then he gets in a big fight with with the snake and takes too many bites and still dies because it wasn't enough. And, but he, he's really acting it like a serious scene. And I'm like, wow, this is one of the last things uh, Pat Morita, you know, Mr. Miyagi, did. And, and there's something to respect. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with work until the end. and But sometimes you got to, man, you know, really respected actors just show up in crap, though. Um, I want to talk about, I saw a, a sequel, um, of all things, to something I've been meaning to uh, watch for a while and I didn't catch it in theaters. I am talking about Kingsman, the golden circle. The Mm -hmm. second Kingsman movie. So the first, did you see the first one? I haven't seen either. Oh, geez. Okay. Um, the first one, the great, the second one is just okay, but it's, it's a, a a comedy, um, sort of James Bond spoof, but with a lot of violence, uh, based on a comic by Mark Millar and Dave Gibbons. Um, and the Golden Circle, the, uh, the premise is, so how can I make this short? Uh, the Kingsmen are this secret society that's been around for a while doing these, these missions, keeping uh, England safe. And they all, they all have codenames after King Arthur and his knights. Um, in the Golden Circle, you find out there's an analog to the Kingsmen in the United States, in Kentucky. And their headquarters is at a bourbon uh, whiskey distillery. I
1: bet it is.
0: And uh, the, the head of the American uh, branch is called, is uh, played by, um, not Jeff Goldblum, although that would have been funny, Jeff Bridges. And it's the first time I've seen Jeff Bridges without a beard in a movie in quite some time. So that was a bit surprising.
1: Now, does he um, still have his crazy, mush mouth uh, southern accent that he does a lot now?
0: Less than I was expecting. It, it's a bit mush mouth, but less... it's more normal, and I was kind of was pleasantly surprised. Um, but yeah, I think both the movies are very good. I'd love to talk about them in the show sometime. I've heard they're doing a third one. They've made a lot of money on a reasonable budget. Uh, they've been directed by Matthew Vaughn, who also directed X-Men First Class. Um... And he's written a lot of the X Men pictures, and I think uh, I've never read the comic. I wouldn't mind reading it, but um, just haven't got to it. But yeah, Golden Circle. It's it's not quite as sharp as the first one, and I, so much of the first movie was a surprise. Watching the second one, you you know, you're kind of expecting the crazy violence, and it can go anywhere. Um, however, in uh, Men The Golden Circle, I, I, I will say this. Elton John has a supporting role, and they even put him in some action scenes. Um, hmm. So, playing himself. So, um, I would recommend both the movies, but if you're going to watch one, just stick with the first one. Kingsman, The Secret Service. But that's Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Hmm. I, I would, you know, if I was to rate it, I'd say it's slightly better than an airplane movie. Meaning a movie you watch in an airplane. <laughs> Not the uh, Colony movies that we discussed Way back on the original (coughs) sequel cast Okay, so I think we've had a pretty good Discussion here of Superman 2 Next week we're going to talk about Superman 3 That's the one with Richard Pryor And Robert Vaughn And a Disturbing Robot woman thing at the end
1: Oh, we'll talk about the nightmare fuel In that movie, don't you worry
0: Yeah, I saw someone posted a picture for, you know, someone started a thread on Twitter that was blowing up. uh, What's a a movie that scared you as a kid? And someone responded just with the picture. Yeah, that would do it. woman at the end. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, So, yeah. Uh, Superman 3 next week. Follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. You can follow me on Twitter at InternetMayor. And um, follow the show on Twitter at SequelCast2, Uh, like us on Facebook, and get the show from the Apple Podcasts app, or you can listen to it streaming on Stitcher. Just search SequelCast2 on Stitcher. And again, we're part of the Batman Podcast Network. Find out more information at Batman on Film.
1: Oh, and do you want to do that uh, script reading as our sign-off?
0: Yes, yes, yes. I like this new tradition. Let's go for it. Uh, so, um, what what part do you want to take? Uh, let me see. I guess,
1: I guess I'll do uh, I'll do the sheriff.
0: Okay, I'll be the deputy, and I'll also read the descriptions. Um, interior police car day. The town's two policemen sit in the front seat. The driver is a deputy in his late twenties. Seated beside him is the sheriff, a paunchy guy in his forties. They are both, in current parlance, real shit-kickers. As we meet them, they are in the middle of a conversation. Me, spring! Not me, I'm summer.
1: This strikes him as damned odd.
0: Summer? Summer, explaining. You know it gets real warm and everything. Hmm. Nope, spring's better. That's my feeling on it. That's a scene allegedly from uh, the original shooting script of Superman 2. I don't think that's in the movie, is it?
1: No, I think they're having the tail end of a different conversation when they show
0: up. I I would would say that scene barely qualifies as comedy.
1: Well, I guess just, well, I mean, you two gruff southern sheriffs talking about what season they like the most, although one of them should be using the word autumn. That would be much funnier. That's my punch up.
0: Autumn, um, uh, because it's more formal, because it's unexpected.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just it's more it's more formal and like f- like uh, talking about autumn colors sounds much better than talking about fall colors.
0: I um speaking of southern stuff, and then we'll we'll sign off for good. I promise, listeners. Um, I you know picked up some some vintage cookbooks on uh, on my Kindle for that were like a dollar or something. One of them was a vintage southern cookbook, and they had a recipe for strawberry wine. Ooh. Do you know how they made strawberry wine and the 1800s
1: smashed a lot of strawberries into a jar of spring water with uh, hops i'm not sure
0: so you you got the first part right you know it's not so different from making jam you smash up a lot of strawberries and add sugar to it you put it in a bottle you you cover it loosely with a cloth and then wait till it ferments and then you drink it cool so, and I imagine that would work. Now, how do you know when it's fermented enough? I and mean, if it fermented too much, would it make you sick? I don't know. But, I mean, I, I, I've read a bit about the history of um, alcohol and beer and all those sort of things. And that's how a lot of those drinks were invented. Is they would just throw random shit in a container with liquid, let it um, age, ferment, so to speak. And then see if they liked it. Hmm. Cool. At uh, Superman 3, next week. Wine you gonna do a line or? No, I guess we're. Uh, I just like it.
1: to say wine.
0: <laughs> oh, what's the Orson Welles wine bit? I know
1: the Greeks and the French will serve no wine before it's time.
0: Yes, we did, yes did. He caught the thug that was mugging Uncle Meyer. Save him from the thug as yes he did, and when a bad situation goes by him.